1: Um, even more niche courses like 13 Week Cash Flow, Venture Capital Course, Real Estate Modeling—you name it. Go ahead and check them out at WallStreetOasis.com/courses. Thanks for the support.
0: Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today, we're lucky to be speaking with Shiel Tile. I chased down Shiel for many months to get him on this podcast And as you will hear in our discussion, he certainly values determination. Shiel has to be one of, if not the youngest and most successful venture investors in the world. He's 27 and just raised a $100 million fund. I know, impressive, right? We'll get into what sets him apart just ahead. If you enjoy this podcast, then you should check out Success, How I Did It, from Business Insider. You'll hear revealing conversations with guests as varied as Navy SEAL Commander Jocko Willink to one of the most powerful women in business, Sally Krawcheck, and find a special fireside chat with Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos. There are even interviews with LeBron James and Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg. Host Rich Filoni takes you through his guests' careers, exploring their biggest accomplishments and failures and what valuable lessons they learned along the way. You can subscribe to Success How I Did It from Business Insider on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. The Bro Professor made a post last week titled, I Don't Want Kids. Let's Discuss. Given that my wife and I had a baby girl two weeks ago, I felt that I should probably chime in here. There's never a right time in life to make a huge change. When you get a dog, or you move to a different place, or you have a kid, I think you just do it, and like anything else in life, you'll figure it out later. When my wife and I got a dog five years ago, life definitely changed. We didn't really like being away from home for too long, like we could get dinner or a movie, not both. We couldn't just take a last minute trip without making plans for our dog, his name's Smith by the way, and we had to make plans for him every day while we were at work, which was basically like having another car payment. If I fully analyzed all of those things before getting him, I probably wouldn't have got him. But when I come home from work and he jumps all over me and just gonna be happier, it feels great. I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. So, yes, we have added responsibilities and costs, but I think it's worth it for him. I think it's the same thing with our new daughter. Her name is Elle. I'm certainly aware of how tough people say having a baby is, how it's going to take over our life, etc., etc. People don't stop telling me that shit. But the satisfaction of having a child should compensate for all the added work. That's the idea, at least, right? I'm not quite there yet. Uh, I think it takes some time for dads to bond with their new babies. I'm not feeding her for my body every three hours like my wife is. So I'm, I'm not really needed. I'm just kind of there in the background to help out where I can, which right now really isn't isn't that much? Everyone, including my wife, has told me how much my life will change now that we have a baby. You may, they say you won't be able to do this, or you won't be able to do that. Like, that's just not true. I'm still working harder than ever. I still go on bike rides to the beach in the morning. And last weekend I played nine holes. Like anything else in life, you make time for what you want to make time for. People in general are just afraid of hard work. Look at this website. Everyone's stressing about how hard... It is to do investment banking. Yeah, it's hard, but you can still make time to see the people you want or do the stuff you like. I can't tell you how many times in life people have tried to scare me with how hard something will be or how much work it will entail. It happened in investment banking. It happened at business school where everyone tried to maximize their fun while they were in school because when they graduated and got a, and got a job, their fun would be over. They would never be able to do that again in their life, right? I just hate that mentality. If you want something done, give it to the busiest person. You're either a doer or you're not. As Chris Powers talked about a few podcasts ago, a new life-enhancing responsibility is not going to change who I am. It might focus me a bit more, and yes, I might not be able to go out all hours of the night, but I don't want to do that anyway. So I didn't do some exhaustive analysis before getting a dog or before having a baby. I just did it. It's great. Yes, it's extra work. But it's worth it. I'm still Alex. I'm still going to hustle for my business, play golf on the weekends, work out in the mornings, see my friends, and live my best life. By the way, I can't wait to do all of those things now with my new daughter. That's life. There's never going to be a right time for anything. So just go be a doer. Hey, Sheil. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me, Alex.
0: Yeah, I've been... Looking forward to this one, you... How old are you?
1: I am about to turn 27.
0: Oh, cool. So you're young, but you've accomplished a lot. You're a big-time VC right now. I'd like to start off the podcast just uh, early in your career. You went to college. Did you always want to become a venture capital investor? Like, what was your plan? Did you have a plan?
1: Yeah, so... When I went to college, I didn't know what venture capital was. Uh, I barely knew what entrepreneurship was. I had done a program. I grew up uh, all around the U.S. We moved around a lot as a kid. San Diego, then Houston, then Michigan, New Jersey, upstate New York. And when I was in Rochester, New York, I attended a program called the Young Entrepreneurs Academy. And it was through that that I got exposed to this thing called entrepreneurship. And when I went to Stanford, I learned a lot more about how entrepreneurship works and how capitalism can be a pretty amazing means of social change. And when I dug into capitalism and what actually drives it, I came across this thing called venture capital. And I was like, huh, you can give a small amount of money to a group of individuals who call themselves entrepreneurs and they are going to take the ideas that they have and the capital you give them as well as advice, mentorship and guidance and they're going to give it their all to try and make something pretty magical. And so that was my first experience and understanding of venture capital. It was when I was in college learning about what makes capitalism tick Uh, And when I realized that venture capital has pretty extraordinary potential to help nurture and further the next generation of entrepreneurs, it made me realize that that's what I wanted to do. So I would say the short answer to your question is I had no idea I wanted to be a venture capitalist until I actually knew what venture capital was, which was uh, when I was in college.
0: Got it. So... That's the beginning of that story is common. People get to college and they say, oh, venture capital seems super cool. Private equity. That's what I want to do. But then on the execution side, it's tough just to jump in to one of those industries. Usually the path to venture capital is you go become an entrepreneur, you start a business you grow it, you sell it for millions of dollars, you take that millions of dollars, you start angel investing, you see what that's like, then you become a venture capital. So it's like this whole path. Same thing with private equity. You go through investment banking and maybe business school. It's different saying, this is what I want to do, and then just go make it happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I am very mission-driven. And so for me, I wasn't just interested in venture capital for the sake of going into venture capital. Uh, I was interested because I very deliberately thought that if done the right way and if you help build the right companies and you engage the right stakeholders, you can have societal change on a micro or a macro level. So when I was trying to get into it, I first had to figure out who were the firms and companies that espoused those same values. And my journey actually started while I was at Stanford. One of the clubs I was part of was the Stanford Venture Capital Club, which uh, I, you know, in retrospect sounds pretty nutty, but at the time, basically what I was doing is I was doing free work for venture capitalists and, you know, helping them with diligence, helping find new opportunities. And through one of those interactions, I actually met a guy named Dan Skolnick, who is now a partner at Trinity Ventures in the Valley. And Dan and I had a number of conversations. And I had done my homework, and I realized that there was this venture capital firm out there named Bessemer Venture Partners that seemed to invest in the type of things that I wanted to invest in. So, for example, one of their biggest exits of all time was in a company called Celtel, which brought the mobile phone to Africa, and a woman having a kid in Lagos, Nigeria, prior to Celtel had to yell for help. After Celtel, she could pick up the phone and call, and that simple change occurred because Celtel was built by an amazing entrepreneur named Mo Ibrahim and backed by Bessemer Venture Partners. So I, I tried to do everything I could to get into Bessemer and. Dan said, hey, Bessemer's hiring an intern. Are you interested? And I said, absolutely. And so he made an introduction to one of their partners. And that got me into the interview process. And I think they, were, they weren't even recruiting at Stanford. Uh, at the time, it was more of an East Coast job, an East Coast firm. So they were mostly looking at East Coast schools. But it got me in the interview process. And then I think uh, they interviewed me and many others. And I was very lucky to get the internship. And that started my venture career. Once I was in, I got to know them. I then joined Bessemer full-time upon graduating. I actually worked at a startup called Skybox during my last year at Stanford. I was essentially full-time at Skybox. I would go in, uh, go into the office in Mountain View every day. I bought a car. My first purchase was this car that I would take just to go into work. And the reason I wanted to do that is I figured if I was going to be a venture capitalist, it's really useful to actually have real operating experience. You know, I had started small companies in my dorm room like everybody else, but uh, (laughs) they didn't end up working out. And I was like, I should probably work at a real company that is venture-backed, scaling, Before I go tell other entrepreneurs how they should be building their own companies, what credibility am I going to have if I haven't worked at any company? And so I I actually worked at Skybox during my last year at Stanford. And I will tell you, it was one of the best experiences I ever had and one of the hardest. I think above all else, it has given me this empathy for how difficult it is to build a company. Everything is against you the you don't have much money it's hard to recruit every big company doesn't want you to exist sometimes the government is even against you and despite all of those odds the ones that are able to succeed are just extraordinary and a little bit lucky so that skybox experience coupled with my internship at bessemer eventually led me to get into the industry full-time and then the rest i would say is sort of history.
0: <laughs> okay, well that's that's a pretty cool story. I guess i want to get into what set you apart in that interview. In that interview at at Bessemer, why why were you able to get that job, that internship?
1: Good question. <laughs> I you know, i'm not 100% sure and who knows, maybe they made a mistake. Um, but i i remember they were asking a number of questions around persistence. They, Bessemer, wanted to test how persistent are you? Are you able to be persistent without being annoying? And the whole point was many of the best entrepreneurs are are inundated from every angle. They're building a company. A number of investors want to invest. So the notion that venture capital is like Shark Tank is totally wrong because in Shark Tank, the investors have all the power. But in venture capital, the best entrepreneurs have all the power. And the venture capitalists are the ones who are pitching the entrepreneurs essentially to be able to get into their company. And part of what Bessman was testing for was are you able to identify entrepreneurs, solid entrepreneurs? Do you have good intuition around that? And once you do have that intuition, are you persistent enough to be able to get yourself a phone call or meeting with that entrepreneur? And I, I remember they asked the persistence questions in, in a number of different ways. And I think I had some good answers to that. You know, I remember, I remember one of my answers was in high school, I really wanted to do science research. And I remember emailing hundreds of people, hundreds of professors, at the various universities community colleges etc in the area and only receiving a reply from one or two of them but that was a good hit rate and once i got that reply from an amazing professor named david de he said let's get dinner and i got dinner with him and i was able to get a uh, i was able to go into his lab and do some science research so it was stories like that that I was willing to just be persistent. Email people. Have no shame if nobody replies, uh, and 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 not be crazy about it. Right? Not like, not follow up in every way. Now I'm not going to call their office or call their assistant. Uh, I'm not going to email them 15 times. I'm not going to ask 16 different people to ping them. I'll, I'll do it slowly but steadily. I think they appreciated that.
0: Yeah. And that determination is something we talk about on this podcast a lot, whether you're just cold emailing to get a job or you have your head down trying to start a business. It's that grit is pretty important in life. Okay. So that's what, that's what they were testing you. That kind of set you apart. And then you said you got the job, you graduated from Stanford and the rest was history, but there was still some more, I mean, you went, you went back to school, right? So there's this path is still kind of formulating,
1: So, yeah, basically the story is I went from Bessemer to NEA. NEA is another venture capital firm. uh, And, you know, I, in 2014, I asked, I basically applied to law school because I was, I was already into the two plus two program at Harvard Business School, which essentially is an MBA program where you apply while you're a junior in college. And if you get into the MBA program, you're required to defer two years, which is why it's called two plus two, two, two deferral years plus two year MBA. So I applied to the law school at Harvard simply because I felt like, you know, as, as you can probably guess from what I've said so far, I am motivated by certain things. And however, I realized that capitalism can't solve every problem. You know, look at the criminal justice problem in this country. Uh, look at the affordable housing problem in this country, look at gun violence in this country. A lot of problems that might not be able to be solved through capitalism have to be solved through law and policy. So I applied to law school, didn't think I was going to get in. When I got in, I was like, I've gotten this gift. I really need to go. So I left my job, went to do my JD MBA. And then after my first year of law school, I was in conversations with this firm, NEA, and they asked me to rejoin. And they said, hey, uh, we'd like somebody to to co-head our seed practice, and that guy is you. And I had a great relationship with a number of folks there, and so I decided to rejoin. I ended up dropping out of the business school, but I actually was able to finish the law degree, which I would not recommend to folks, but over the next two years... I was working full-time for this venture capital firm while finishing my law degree, uh, which is complicated and hard to do, but I was able to, I was able to get it done uh, despite not sleeping very much. And then what ended up happening is once that was all done, uh, once I got my law degree, it felt like the perfect time to start my own venture capital firm. You know, at this point, I had been working in venture for, gosh, depending on how you count, seven years, I would say. If you include the internship and keep going, I would say seven years, six, six seven years, depending on how you count. And at this point, I had built up a track record of, invest, of some failure, but also of some investing in some companies that ended up working. And I had a number of limited partners, limited partners being my investors saying, "Chill, you've got to start your own firm, and if you do, we'll back you. And, you know, I did not come from wealth. My parents were sort of the classic immigrants. uh, Story came from India, didn't have anything, worked their way up. And it meant a lot to me that I had investors who had been following my own career saying, we'll back you. And that gave me the confidence to go out on my own, start my own thing, and get it done. It allowed me to build my own culture, invest in the things I wanted to invest in, help build the companies that were truly transformational and prove to the world that great entrepreneurs can come from anywhere. They don't have to come from Silicon Valley. They don't have to go to MIT or Harvard. They can come from anywhere, look like anything, be anything. And that's the journey I'm on right now.
0: That's so, that's so interesting. And so when you think about starting your own business, usually there's... Risk and uh, return to weigh there. But I mean, if you already have investors who are willing to back you, I guess it's some risk has been mitigated. But how'd you think about that? You know, leaving NEA, leaving a company that's, I mean, did they pay for you to go to law school or that they supported you while you were in law school? How'd you, how'd you make that decision?
1: Not an easy decision. So I think it was much more a decision about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. Right. So I think the more you surround yourself with entrepreneurs, the more you appreciate being an entrepreneur yourself, and you 're like i you know I kind of want to build my own business I want to be I want to build my own team and surround myself with a group of people that might not be traditional in venture so if you look at my uh, my website, you'll notice that I have a number of different roles, but they generally fall within two categories. One are board partners, and the other are millennial CEOs. And the board partners are people like Julia Gillard, the first and only female prime minister of Australia, who is very interested in education. She's chairwoman of the Global Partnership for Education. I have another woman named Lema Wobi who won the Nobel Peace Prize a couple of years ago for freeing Liberia from its second civil war. She led protests around a female led protests all around the country that forced the essentially the dictator into peace negotiations. And I mean, these types of people are heroes of mine. They are mentors of mine. And the only reason they're interested in getting involved in a venture capital firm, they could be doing a lot of things with their time, and they are. But the reason part of their time is devoted to this is because the, our ethos is real. We, are, we do not get interested unless the companies have true, sustainable social impact. And we do that for two reasons. One, selfishly. Life is too short to work on things that don't matter. But two, we actually think the biggest companies in the world are created by founders who are not motivated by the money. They're motivated by things that have nothing to do with the money, like changing something about how the world works. And it is that ethos that drives all of us. And that was kind of what led to my decision to start my own thing.
0: Right. Okay, and I, I, really, I really like this idea of going after social change, going after something that you want to make a difference for in the world, and then the money will be a, by, a byproduct of that. You know, you see a lot of people kind of just chasing money, and I mean, maybe they can find it, maybe they can't, but you hear a lot more of these, you know, immense success stories of someone chasing something else, their passion, like some p- problem that they know needs to be changed, and then yes, and then the money comes, Right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're motivated by the money, I actually use Mark Zuckerberg as an example here. So Mark Zuckerberg historically and famously has never been driven by the money. You know, in fact, so much so that when Yahoo, I think it was either Yahoo or Microsoft came along with their billion dollar acquisition offer. If you were motivated by the money and you went from zero essentially to making a couple hundred million dollars, Everybody in their right mind would say yes to that. But Zuckerberg was not. He was motivated by connecting everybody. He thought he could build a world that was better, where everybody would be connected. And that it was that that allowed him to build a really, really big company that in many ways has been transformational. Now, with the hearings recently in, the, in front of the Senate and the House, we have seen that as companies get bigger and create more impact, that impact can be both good or bad. Uh, and I think to Zuckerberg's credit, he is working through this, although we'll see. But I think the point of uh, that I'm trying to make is it is that mindset that allows one to go big and create social change. I actually don't think those two things are mutually exclusive.
0: Right. Okay, Sheil how did you get this uh, you know, passion for social change? Were you born with it? Did you get it when your parents you know, moved, to, moved to America? Like, how did how'd you get it and how did you recognize that this is what I need to be doing in life? I think it was
1: the, the stories my parents used to tell us. You know, my, my dad applied to schools. Most of my parents are from India. They grew up uh, not wealthy. You know, my dad's uh, father was a postal worker my or uh, government worker my my dad's mom was a homemaker and they were not wealthy so my dad applied to graduate schools that he could afford and the graduate schools that he could afford were the ones that did not have an application fee because that would that's what he could afford free my mom had a similar story she landed in st louis uh, first time in america first time on a plane and went straight to the YMCA because somebody told her the YMCA had free housing. Now, of course, what she did not realize is the YMCA at the time was actually the, the homeless shelter, or it had a part of it that was the homeless shelter. <laughs> she thought immigrants got free housing, <laughs> which is how <laughs> ironic is that? And so, you know, those are, that is the background from which I come. A, a background of, not of privilege, but of determination of recognizing that you have been uh, incredibly fortunate and blessed. My parents raised us that way. So throughout uh, our childhood, they reminded us that we had been given a lot more than they ever were. And we can either use that for our own personal gain, or we can use that to give folks like them a shot. And part of what drives me to entrepreneurship and social change together is I actually think if done the right way, one of the best ways to make change at a societal level in a sustainable way is through capitalism, is through entrepreneurship. Uh, I tell the story of a company called Andela. One of, one of my investments and board seats is in a, in a company called Andela. I was one of the first, if not the first investor, the first board member, and I'm very proud of this business because it is paying students to learn in Africa. So it's based on a couple of different premises. First premise is talent is universal, but opportunity is not. Second premise is for every five open computer science jobs in America, there's only one qualified developer. And the third premise is that if you flip the education model, where instead of students paying tuition, you pay students, then that means everybody can afford an education. So we combined those three, those three premises, and we've created this business that is a mix of an educational training program and a job placement center where we find and train the smartest young Africans. There's less than a 1% admissions rate. We pay them from day one. And by month six, they're so good that US tech companies hire them as remote developers. And everybody wins. And in many of these countries, which are massive, by the way, there is 50 or 60% youth unemployment. Governments are now seeing Andela as the number one way to create jobs for their countries. Talk about social change at a, in a scalable, sustainable way. This, com- this company was just named the best company to work for in Nigeria, which we're very proud of, above companies like ExxonMobil, GE, Google. Uh, Zuckerberg led his first ever lead investment in this company in the series B and this, I think this will be a multi-billion dollar company, uh, in the next three to four years. So, you know, I think that's a great example of a company, the types of things we try and do help build real companies, solving real problems, causing real change, but with an underlying business model that is just as good, if not better than any other business model.
0: Right, she. I'm smiling listening to that story. It's. I mean, it's. It makes you feel good from a social perspective. It sounds like an incredible business. You know, from a financial capitalism perspective. I mean, you're right. That's the combination of it all. So those are the types of businesses that you're looking for. Yeah,
1: and you know we're not we're not impact investors. though. that's the irony, right? Like my limited partners are traditional folks. They're pension funds. They're uh, for, Fortune 500 CEOs and executives, you know, I mean, it's these are these are folks who, well, part of the reason they're driven to invest in what we're doing is because they share my ethos. That the biggest companies in the world, and the most transformational, are the ones that are driven by a mission, not by the money. So, you know, I, I, we're not impact investors, which is what's ironic. We just look for the biggest companies and the best entrepreneurs, and we tend to find that they're all mission driven.
0: Right. So I'll get you out of here on this, the advice component of the podcast. You know, you've obviously have an extreme amount of determination. You're very fortunate that you were able to realize what your passion was. I mean, from a a very young age, it sounds like. Let's talk about someone who doesn't maybe realize, you know, what their calling in life is. They are determined. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're in college. They're trying to figure out what's right for them. What do you tell someone like that? I would say there is
1: no shame in not knowing what you want to do. In fact, many of us continuously have career changes. And even when you're in your 60s, there's no shame in wanting another career change. In fact, many of the greatest people in life haven't gotten their big breaks or didn't know what they were doing until they were much, much later in life. So first of all, I would say don't worry. I would say the second thing is the only way you're going to know what you like is if you're exposed to it. And the only way to be exposed to something is either by reading about it or watching it or talking to people. And so I would suggest that, you know, if you're still in college, uh, read as much as you can, talk to as many people as you can outside of your major outside of your field the only way you're going to know about something really cool is if you're talking to a really diverse set of folks so uh and then i would say the last thing is if you're still in college or a relatively fresh grad the advantage you have is people will reply to your email everybody wants to help young folks and use the fact that you still have a .edu email address to email everybody you want to email. There's no reason why you shouldn't email the CEOs of this or the heads of this. Because if, if you say, I'm a student from this university, and I'm really interested in X, Y, and Z, and by the way, I read this about your company or your business, and what about this, this, and this basically make the email as concise as possible while showing you've done your homework beyond just you're a cool person. Talk to me. Then I actually think that the, your hit rate will be pretty good. You'll get to meet some amazing people. And through that process, you'll pretty quickly learn about opportunities that there might've been no other way of knowing about. So I would say all those things are my advice. And from there, the more information you have, the more people you talk to, I think it'll just become easier to figure out what you actually want to do.
0: Cool. Sheel, I love it. I love that advice. I did that exact thing when I was in business school. Very is Pretty much the reason why I started the podcast was I was just emailing CEOs from my .edu email address and getting an incredible response rate. I thought, hey, maybe I can build a little podcast based on this. So... I think it's really cool. I really want to thank you for sitting down, talking with us, telling us your story, your advice. This was a lot of fun.
1: Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you having me. I hope this is useful to any of the folks that are out there. They can follow me on Twitter, at ShieldTile. In fact, if they message me on Twitter, I'm actually quite responsive. So it's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. But I think I wish all of you the best of luck.
0: I wish you luck, Shiel. Thanks so much for doing this. Excellent. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to another Moving Up podcast. I hope you found it inspiring or useful in some way. We'll be back next week on Tuesday with another episode. Thanks.